You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. All right, uh, Tommy is with us by telephone, and moment in a moment I will tell you um, where he's calling from. Aaron's here. I am here. Uh, you know, we've, we're in day whatever of this crazy uh, world we're living in right now. I had somebody tell me, and I forget, Aaron, if you were here when I was on the phone with the person that told me yesterday. They said, thank God April is here because yesterday felt like it was March 91st. You know, like March was an awfully long uh, month. Um, But let's get to something serious, although it doesn't sound that serious based on talking to Tommy right before we started this podcast. But Tommy is calling us today, or we are calling him. He's in the hospital. Man, you've had so many issues. This one isn't a serious issue, we don't think. Um, But go ahead and tell everybody what happened and the pain that you were in and why you're in the emergency room in Frederick. Well, it's really is amazing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm being, I'm being beat to death by a thousand paper cuts, all different here. You know, uh, uh, from bronchitis last August to uh, gout a couple weeks ago. Well, you still have gout. Yeah, I know. And now I wind up in the hospital with gallstones, a gallbladder attack. I had a devastating attack yesterday morning. <laughs> that was uh, that I, I nearly passed out from the pain. Oh, my you know, God, I'm, the gallstone, it's <laughs> killing me, Liz. you got to help me. Oh, my God, uh, was, can uh, I tell you imagine? What, I tell you what, my tone in, in, in this situation, my, 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 the, the uh, volume level in terms of, uh, of uh, it was much lower, let's say. It was like, this is serious, Liz. i got to go, you know, because... <laughs> And because wh- I, I was I was trying to get words out because I was afraid I wouldn't get the words out before I passed out. <laughs> no. It was that bad, huh? Yeah. Oh boy, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, it was, but it was it was that bad. But I, you know, I haven't yeah, fortunately I haven't seen you that mad that often. I mean, we, you've raised your voice with me over the years at times, but uh I haven't seen you in pain and I can only imagine. Well, I'm glad you got the words out. When you got the words you didn't pass out, right? You didn't pass out. But no, tell I didn't. tell everybody what struck you, not physically, um when you arrived in the emergency room. Well, I'm at Frederick Memorial Hospital. Uh, and I got here, I guess, about 10.30 yesterday morning, and I was the only one in the uh, emergency room. That's crazy. They, they treated me right away. I mean, I got treated, diagnosed pretty quickly, and uh, the pain had subsided on its own pretty quickly after I got in here. They didn't have to give me painkillers or anything, but uh, this place... This place is like a ghost town. It's not that busy. I mean, you know, and everybody's pretty relaxed. Uh, I mean, it, this is this is not ground zero by any stretch of the imagination. I think I, I, I read as of Wednesday there were five people hospitalized in Frederick for the coronavirus, and I think three had been released. So uh, right now here, while they're taking precautions, uh, 
uh, I have not heard anyone say the word to me, coronavirus. Not once. You know, um, when you sent me the text yesterday, and you sent me a text because you said I'm not going to be able to do the podcast tomorrow, meaning today, because of what you're going through, and you mentioned it's hardly a war zone here. They've only had five people hospitalized, which you just said, and you texted that to me, and I sent you a text back, bad news, but sounds like good news, too. Sorry about that. I hope you feel better. But when I read that, when I read your text, I was like, well, you know what? Gallstones, he's going to be all right. That's not going to be what gets him. It's going to be something much more severe <laughs> than that. Um, the uh, But to think that, you know, all we're hearing are these stories of overrun, you know, hospitals and emergency rooms and healthcare facilities. And we know that that's true in a lot of areas of the country, especially, the you know, the New York area. Um, you know, that's good news. It doesn't mean that a week from now it's not going to be overrun or two weeks from now. Right. I mean, they're predicting the peak to be two weeks from now. But I, 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 think, yeah. I think I may have mentioned this to you when we were talking before the podcast. You know, the fact that it was empty. Now, 1030 in the morning, I'm sure that is it's not their busiest time of the day anyway. In most emergency right. rooms, you know. And by the way, Tommy, I don't know if I told you this. I actually volunteered. It was sort of an internship thing when I was in college in an emergency room, sort of check-in situation at Sibley. And, you know, Sibley is near American University. And I'm telling you, the, you know, post-midnight arrivals into an emergency room, especially with young people, you know, near a a college campus is, is incredible. But I bet a lot of people who use the emergency room in some cases, use a hospital emergency room in some cases as a healthcare provider because they don't have other options. I bet a lot of people for things that they, you know, typically wouldn't, typically might go into an emergency room for are just staying away right now for fears of that would be the worst place to go if I'm trying to avoid coronavirus. Well, those were my thoughts. I, I sat there in pain on the couch saying, <laughs> you know, I got to ride this out. I got to ride this out. And then I was, I literally could see myself being transported via ambulance. You know, if, if I didn't speak up and say, this is not good, this is, this is something like I've never had before, and it's not just going to take care of itself. So, yeah, what are they saying? What do, you, what do you have to get done? Uh, well, uh, I have to wait until Friday morning to have the surgery because I have medication that needs to clear my body before they can medic they, they can operate on me which one of the meds uh, your gout med your your shoulder. i take a blood th- i take a elbow? blood thinner oh the blood thinner yeah okay i take a blood thinner and and they want that cleared uh last time i took it was yesterday morning and uh they want that cleared before they operate it's a laparoscopy or a laparotomy oh, kind of operation where they don't have to cut me open uh they do three small incisions and stick a camera in there and pull pull it out. Ah, do, do you, you know? are you, are you, you go under for this, right? Not half under. Well, I I, I would hope so. I mean, if it's <laughs> well, my choice, if it's my choice, I would have been under from the time I walked in <laughs> to the, in, in, in a hospital. Just keep me just keep me knocked out until they you can take care of it. Yeah. Oh but, boy. Uh, I mean, the, the doctors have been very good. A, a terrific surgeon who explained everything. Uh, and this morning. Uh, all my blood work is much like there was a lot of inflammation everywhere last night. My pancreas, uh, my liver. Uh, today, 
that inflammation is down dramatically. It's almost normal. And I have no pain or discomfort now, so which means I don't have a gallstone lodged in my uh, in, a, in, a, in a pipe somewhere mm-hmm. in my system. Uh, so all all the everything's looking good right now. Uh, I just want to get out of here, and I think I think I may get out of here by tomorrow night. I have the operation scheduled for tomorrow morning. I think they'll let me go by tomorrow night, mm-hmm. and then it's two weeks of recovery at home, which really. Which really, you know, cuts into my activity time of sitting at home. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I'm wondering if maybe, you know, let me uh, do my normal diagnosis on this. Do you drink a lot of water? I drink a ton of water. I drink 40 ounces of water before I leave the bathroom in the morning. <laughs> oh, God. Well, that'll send you back to the bathroom pretty quickly. But um, so I drink a lot of water. But you've been moving around. You know, you've been, I mean, you've been going I've on been, walks. I, ex- I exercise. I've been doing more exercising than walking. Uh, I've been, uh, I exercise 20 minutes a day at home. Yeah. Like with yoga, uh, stretching, some dumbbells. And I've been diligent about it every day for two weeks. I, I, I've been doing it. I haven't been doing that much walking. But uh, as far as drinking uh, water, I'm a, a devoted drinker of water. I drink a lot of it. Um, well, I want and you not, to... And, and no beer. In three weeks. You know what's really interesting? Did we talk about this the other day? I forget. You know, somebody, um, a friend of mine called me the other day and said, um, I've gone to the liquor store three times today for the next week. (laughs) You know, like the liquor stores are open for, they're considered essential right now, I'm pretty sure. But for whatever reason, Tommy, over the last couple of weeks, I haven't had one drop of alcohol. I have been drinking lots of water. I have been, I've actually been working out on my Peloton, you know, every other day, going on tons of walks with my new favorite person in my house, my English bulldog, Laney. She's my best friend. She's, I think she might be the only person that really likes me right now. We're all getting on each other's (laughs) nerves. Um, And I've lost 11 pounds in a week, in about a week and a half, basically. So I'm going to keep going on this because no, for me, like no alcohol, no sodas, I think are a big difference maker, big difference maker. I think cutting well, out. Well, I mean, the the alcohol. I mean, it, it, you want to keep your immune system as strong as possible. Well, that 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 was the other reason, exactly. Yeah. But you do know that people are drinking away their their hunkering down period. I mean, oh, I know. I, I, you can go one of two ways on this. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. And I went the way you did. Uh, I look. I remember what Don King said when he was doing time, and he said, "I made time work for me." Right. So I went on a diet. I was losing weight. I had lost thirteen pounds over three weeks. I'm going to lose a lot more now because of this. Right. Uh, but uh, and I was working out diligently, and I was I was on a writing project. I've been talking about doing for years with no alcohol. So I had taken this as uh, as an op. I, I figured this is my way to win. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the Don King thing is um, is is an interesting way to look at it. I, I would also suggest that some people who are, you know. Um, imbibing on a daily basis and maybe overdoing it would would say that they're making the most out of their time too. 
<laughs> this is a good way to pass the time as well and may make a, a lot of the, the stress and anxiety associated with these days a little bit easier. Um, I, I wanted to mention this real quickly because I mentioned Aaron, it to Aaron when he walked in and I talked about it with Greg this morning on the radio show. When I came in here this morning, and I come in here really early for, for my radio show, I do the radio show in the same studio that we're doing the podcast from. I um, noticed something as I walked by the entrance to Safeway and then looked inside Safeway. Every single person I saw was wearing a mask, and I hadn't seen that yet. I've seen a lot of mask wearing, don't get me wrong, but not everybody. Like It's like one out of every three people have a mask. Well, this morning, I stopped, and I looked, and I'm like, I don't see one customer in here that isn't wearing a mask or a scarf or something. And it was it, it was really eerie. Like it was, not that we haven't been reminded, you know, on an hourly basis of how unique and how serious this is. But like to see that, I was like, man, I better get myself a mask. Now the president, who by the way, yesterday, I don't, maybe you missed this, Tommy, and I'm, I mean, I was waiting for the news on this, and thank God he was able to give it to us. He is number one on Facebook, if you didn't know that. Uh, he shared that information with us yesterday. I don't even know what that means, um, but it's a good thing um, that he's not wrapped up into himself right now during this crisis. Uh, <laughs> letting talk, us... talk, about, talk about a gallstone. Oh, my God. He's got one in his brain. Um, but that that uh, was good news because I was wondering, weren't you wondering where he was ranked on Facebook? I was wondering anyway, and he told us that he was ranked number one. But he also talked about, in all seriousness, either yesterday or the day before, and maybe it was Fauci and or Dr. Burks, who, by the way, um, certainly are, are better communicators, as, as we've discussed, and you sort of feel like you're getting the real story from them. They talked about, you know, if you don't have a mask, a scarf will do. Now, somebody brought up this morning on the radio show, what about a handkerchief? I said, you know what? I'll have to wait and ask Tommy if he comes on the podcast today because you still carry handkerchiefs, don't you? No, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. You... I don't still carry handkerchiefs. Did you? I don't, wear, I, don't, I don't wear a fedora, and I don't carry handkerchiefs. Do you have a bandana? No. Either I do don't I. have a bandana. You know, there's, I'd say about half the people in the hospital working are not wearing that. Interesting. That might yeah. change. Like I, the nurse who's been who's been taking care of me? No mask. What's she like? Uh, well, you know, remember that Seinfeld episode where Elaine can't see a doctor because she winds up on the difficult yeah. uh, list? Right. Well, that's kind of where I am. I, I, I'm on the difficult list. Well, I mean, I started out... You know, telling them they, they told me when I when I, they checked me into the room what they wanted me to do, and I said, "Well, I'm not going to do that right now. I'm going to do this right now." <laughs> what was it that they asked you to do? Because this, I would have predicted that that would have been your answer. You're t totally uncoachable <laughs> in these situations. What was it that they said they were going to do that you said you wouldn't do? I wanted to change into look, uh, Liz, who can't see me here. My wife, uh, she can't. She was with me at the ER. And with me for all that, but uh, cannot visit me in the hospital. Why? Uh, because they're not allowing visitors. Because of corona? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, she went home and got a pair of shorts and a T-shirt for me. And some uh, clogs, which I wear <laughs> around the house. You and a pair because of Because I, I don't want to wear a gown, you know? 
Yeah. I mean, you know, I know you like wearing gowns. It's it's a but, it's hospital uh, garb. I mean, uh, yeah, I know that, but but I've been in the hospital enough to know that you can wear the. You stuff can get you around that. You can you can wear stuff from home. Yeah. So okay. I, I I wanted to put on my I wanted to change first before they they started putting me in bed and hooking me up and stuff. Right. Uh, and they weren't happy with that. They wanted to do what they wanted to do right away. Because oh, that's what they do. Jesus. And I told them, well, that wasn't going to happen. I said, I'm going to go in the bathroom. I'm going to put on, I'm going to change into my clothes, get comfortable. Then you can connect me with anything you want. And it's been downhill from there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're the worst. Honestly, <laughs> you really are. Good God, just, from just do what they tell you to do for crying out loud. I mean, they must have like some sort of marker on your door out front, you know, some oh, sort of big do. red X mark that says, you know, problem. Like I said, uh, like, like Elaine, difficult is probably on my chart. Yeah. Oh, man, I would hate to be in that hospital with you as a patient. <laughs> I mean, it was rough enough with you as a partner for seven and a half years. <laughs> All right. Um, I wanted to, uh, two things that I wanted to get to, and then we'll let you run. Uh, and if, if a nurse comes in and starts yelling at you, we actually don't want you to hang up the phone. We'd like to listen to that and the entire okay. exchange between you and a doctor or a nurse. But um, okay. today would have been over. Now, the doctors, the doctors, I might want to point out, I've gotten along great with. Anybody know you? Anybody recognize you? Or no, uh, that hasn't happened yet. Okay, um, it happened well, a lot in the past, but not. Well, now. maybe you ought to tell them who you are. Um, yeah, that's a good move. Yeah. Um, so today would have been the home opener for the Nats. Um, it's a shame we can't have that, but you know everybody understands why. But you know that would have been Tommy one difficult ticket to get. I mean, already before you know the season was postponed, they were saying that the opening day ticket, which would have been today or tonight, was the game scheduled for day or night? Day. Um, today, it today was, three, I think a 3 o'clock game or it, something like it that. It was going to be one of the most sought-after and in-demand tickets in recent memory in, in this city. Really? Yeah, now, Game 3 for the World Series, the first game at home, was off the charts. And, you know... I think we talked about it then. I went to that game, game three, and there was definitely, you know, a sense of uh, a crowd that had paid big money to be in there. You know, it was an event bandwagon crowd. And then I think the next two games were more like, say, the wild card crowd rather than the, you know, the baby shark crowd. Um, so, uh, yeah, th- this ticket was in high, high demand. I don't know. I don't think you were going to be able to get into the park for less than 500 bucks. I think for today, I think that's what we saw. And I remember the atmosphere outside the ballpark on the street was like nothing I'd ever seen before. Oh yeah. That day that was, that was phenomenal. Great fall evening. It was a, it was a Friday too. It was a Friday night. Pretty sure it was a Friday night too. Um, I wanted to get to this, and then we'll let you go back to whatever you're doing. You're probably you're watching TV, I would, I would assume, um, from your hospital bed. So the Redskins on Twitter, Tommy, put out their dream 
team draft, their all-time dream team draft where you went through and you picked various players at each position that they made available. They made the players available and you know as an example, you know you got for uh, the tight ends, you got three tight end options and you picked one. You know for defensive end, you got like eight options and you picked four. And I wanted to 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 share this with everybody because some of the players that were made available in this all-time Redskins dream team draft are just incredible and then players that weren't included are even more sort of head scratching i'm going to start with the quarterback options okay and you pick one quarterback for your redskins all-time dream team all right you draft one sonny jurgensen of course is there sammy baugh all right billy kilmer doug williams joe theisman mark rippon kirk cousins and alex smith He's on Alex the... Smith. Yes, Alex. Are you Smith. kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. Alex Smith was one of the players made available, and I looked at that. And they they t- quarterbacks are the first you know thing offered up, and then you pick your one quarterback, and then you hit next, and then the running backs you know pop up. Alex Smith is one of the quarterbacks made available for the all-time Redskins dream team being drafted on their Twitter. You can go to the Washington Redskins on on Twitter and do this. Now, that's that's ridiculous. Nothing disrespectful intended towards Alex Smith, who we are all wishing, you know, a healthy, healthy uh, return. Um, RG3 should absolutely be on that list before Alex Smith. Yes. I mean, if if Alex Smith is on the list and RG three isn't, what you know, this could have been the social media team, you know, and we've seen their social media over the last couple of years sort of goes hand in hand with their overall public relations handling. You know, they just they they they're off two to three beats um, always. Brad Johnson should have been on that list clearly, absolutely. If Alex Smith was, so that was the first one that was a bit of a head scratcher. The second one that was a bit of a head-scratcher, and I'm going to save the best for last, is the defensive back options, and you picked four. And you could have picked four corners or four safeties. You know, it didn't matter. But they had Daryl Green and Ken Houston and Pat Fisher and Sean Taylor and Champ Bailey and Brig Owens and D'Angelo Hall and Mike Bass, all right, and Landon Collins. Oh, my God. Landon Collins was an option for your defensive backs. By the way, the one... Well, look, I, I, I understand this. I, they, they, they don't want to ignore their own players that are currently on the mm-hmm. roster. I understand the public relations move on Landon Collins. I don't get the Alex Smith one, unless Alex Smith is going to be your quarterback. Um, it's an all-time Redskins dream team. Landon Collins, I know that. But, Landon, but, 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 Alex but, Smith again, played nine a, games, and Landon Collins has played one season. Let me get to the one. I know. It, me, it's a PR. It's a PR move. I get that. Yeah, but there's something else at work here, and you'll realize it when I mention this last position group. The offensive linemen made available for you to draft were Joe Jacoby, Russ Grimm, Jim Lachey, Chris Samuels, Len Haas, Jeff Bostick. Um, from the olden times, Vince Permuto and Turk Edwards. And then there was one other player made available. And then there was one clear and obvious omission. The last player made available 
was Brandon Sheriff. <laughs> and not on the available players to pick for an all-time dream team was Trent Williams. Well, after what Trent Williams did to you, would you put him on the list? That's not the that's not the point. The point is that is, is that point. this rose above just your little social media team because the owner's favorite guy, Alex Smith, who clearly shouldn't be on here, is and Trent Williams, who clearly should be on here and made available before Brandon Sheriff, isn't. I mean, come on, man. It's like it's a social media fun thing to do in these crazy times and gives people something to fool around with. Don't be petty. Like, come on. You can't have. No, I get that. I get that. Look, I think the Redskins have handled this far worse than you do. But on the other hand, I get petty in this. If they think that, I mean, if I'm the Redskins, and God help me, that would be a worse disease than the gallbladder. Uh, I'm not putting Trent on that list. I'm not, I'm not, I don't even recognize he exists. Come on. Stop no. it. Well, uh, how- I'll tell you what. Do you think Trent Williams is going to be in the Ring of Honor someday? Well, this pretty or much this pretty much you know gives you an indication on that. Like I wanted to to be able to just text this to Vincent Taylor, Trent's agent, um, and just say, "Hey, Vince, uh, that Ring of Fame uh, hope you can forget about it. He's not even in a simple online Dream Team draft. You know, poll isn't even listed as an option. And a guy, Brandon Sheriff, who's missed I don't know 15 games in the last three years, is. Um, look, Trent Williams. Trent Williams is one of the greatest offensive linemen in team history. No matter what you think of what's going on right now, Trent Williams. I mean, he's not better than Jacoby Lachey or Grimm. You know, he's um, probably not better than Samuel. I think that's debatable, but that's fine it's if you deba- want to. It's debatable if you want to pick Chris it's Samuels debatable. before him, but it, it's debatable. Yeah. But Trent Williams has been one hell of a football player, even though he's missed games and he's been suspended. We all know the story, but based on Brandon Sheriff being in there, or you know, even a guy like you know Jeff Bostick or Len Haas, two great centers. Don't get me wrong. Look, I think Raleigh McKenzie should have been on this list. Look, John Danson's <clears throat> not on the list. John Jansen's not on the list. Good, good, good pull. You know, John Jansen and Raleigh McKenzie should have been on that list before Brandon Sheriff at this point. Yeah, but again, but, but you want to again, you want to have somebody who's on your roster. You know, well, they don't I have somebody. Who's, they don't that. have somebody who's on the roster for all their positions. They don't. No, actually, wait a minute. Running back Adrian Peterson's on here. Uh, wide wide receiver. There's nobody on the list uh, that's on no, the team right now. Wide receiver. wide receiver, nobody tight end, Offense, nobody tight end, offensive lineman, nobody. Yeah, Brandon Sheriff, um, nobody yeah. defensive line. The defensive line choices were Butts, Manley, Charles Mann, and Gene Brito. Um, the linebackers, <clears throat> actually, Kerrigan is on the list, and you, you could argue that Kerrigan deserves to be on the available. Yes, list. you could. You could yeah. make that that case. Um, Hamburger Fletcher. Now the Redskins don't have a history of great linebackers. Great point. Hamburger Fletcher, Coleman, Ken Harvey, and Ryan Kerrigan are on the list. I mean, Lavar Arrington's not on the list. Not that I think he should be. You know, it, it, because I think his career here was too short. In the same way, Wilbur Marshall's was probably too short. You know, in terms of the years played here, um, you could have put Neil Okolwitz on the list. Um, but the DBs do have D'Angelo. I, I do have uh, Landon Collins 
as an option, which is sort of silly. <clears throat> this is a PR a move. I get the reason for for the omissions and the additions, except for Alex Smith. I don't get that one. Well, I mean, I mean that's that's that, that's an that's an insult. Is your first that's an insult. so you're you're telling me that your first reaction to not seeing Trent Williams made available, but Brandon Sheriff isn't that that sort of petty? Uh, understandably petty. Uh, petty, petty. <laughs> I would, I would validate. I, I, I would be just as petty. Although I would yeah. have traded Trent Williams before all this happened. But if I was in this situation, I'd be just as petty. That guy, that guy wouldn't exist to me. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I, if you're going to do this and you're going to make it serious, when I say serious, you're going to make it serious fun because people are going to play this and they're going to think about it. They're going to be looking for Trent. Like, did you, Alex Smith, where's RG3? Why can't I have RG3 as an option? Uh, no matter what you think of Robert Griffin III, his games in Washington far exceed what Alex Smith did here in nine oh. and a half games. I oh. mean, Brad Johnson far his career here far exceeds what Alex Smith produced in nine and a half games. It's a joke. Um, Are you surprised they put Kirk Cousins on the list? Yeah, a little bit, but he deserves to be on the list. He owns seven he franchise passing list. records. Yeah. <clears throat> you know the running... I mean, he was so, he was so good that they couldn't keep him off the list. Who would you pick? And as, you know they wanted to keep him off the list. They probably wanted to keep him on the list, but but then again, it's like they didn't. They would have wanted RG. The owner would have wanted RG three on the list. You would think so. Yeah, you would think so. But he's got he's <laughs> put Alex Smith, Redskins quarterback next year. Um, of the quarterback options, I I went through it. I picked Sonny. You probably picked Ball, right? Sammy Ball, yeah. Of the running backs, you got to pick two. Um, I picked Riggins, and I picked Clinton Portis over Larry Brown, barely. Um, Morris. I would pick Riggo and Larry Brown. I knew, I knew you would. Um, by the way, left off that list of running backs, and he should have been on the list, actually, is Mike Thomas, who was the 1975 Rookie of the Year and was a really good back for about the same length of time that Stephen Davis was and George Rogers was and Ernest Biner was, for that matter. I mean, the difference is Biner you know, won, was on a Super Bowl-winning team, as was George Rogers, even though when we got to that postseason with George Rogers, it was Timmy Smith who ended up being right. um, the primary back in the uh, postseason. Uh, there's a receiver missing off the list of receivers that I think you will pick up on, and I'll just mention them right now. And You you had to pick three wide receivers from this group. Art Monk, Bobby Mitchell, Charlie Taylor, Charlie Brown, Gary Clark, Hugh Taylor, Pierre Garçon, Ricky Sanders, and Santana Moss. There's, no Roy Jefferson. I need, I knew you'd say that. No Roy Jefferson. And, you know, you could actually make the case that Henry Ellard should have been on this list. You know, if Pierre, yeah. you know, um, if Charlie Brown's on the list, I picked Art Monk. To me, Art Monk and Charlie Taylor are the two best receivers in franchise history. Yes, and then yes. and and you can put them in either order. Actually, I think Charlie Taylor may have been a better Hall of Fame player than Art Monk. And then to me, it came down to one of my all-time favorite Redskins, who is Gary Clark and Bobby Mitchell. And I pick Clark, and I, I understand why you should pick Mitchell, but from you know, that that's just a personal preference because I just loved Gary Clark. It's hard not to pick Gary Clark as your third receiver. It'd be off that that's a tough one. That is a very tough one. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you wouldn't... Know, Santana Moss means a lot to this franchise and, and what, what he did while he was here during the difficult times, you know? I hear you. I think it's so hard, like, when you have the options of players that are comparable to those players and those previous players won. You know, they're world champions. Yes. You know, Gary yes. Clark is a is a two-time Super Bowl-winning champion. Uh, I'm not I'm not picking Santana Moss or Pierre Garçon over Gary no, Clark. No, I'm not. But you're leaving a lot of good guys off your list. Who else have I missed? Roy Jefferson well, and Henry no, I mean, I mean... I mean, what you're doing is by only pick, you can only pick three, right? Yes. So what I'm saying is, when you when you pick the three, those are difficult choices. The third choice is difficult because you're leaving a lot of good guys off your list. In that particular position, you really are. I mean, this team. Yes, yes you are. Th- this team has three Hall of Fame wide receivers in Monk, Mitchell, and Taylor, and you know Gary Clark, a borderline, you know, case. Especially yeah. if you, especially if you were to count, you know, the USFL numbers, which you wouldn't. But Gary Clark, you know, I, I I don't think Gary Clark is a Hall of Famer, but I do think based on some of the receivers in the Hall of Fame, you can make the case that Gary Clark is is a is worthy of of consideration of the Hall of Fame. Um, the tight end options were Jerry Smith, Jordan Reed, Chris Cooley. Chris Cooley's my friend. Uh, this is easy to me. It's Jerry Smith. You can only pick one? Yeah. Well, yeah, it'd be Jerry Smith, but Coley would be second. Yeah, except you know who's missing from this list? Not because he was a pass-catching tight end necessarily, but Donnie Warren Warren should should have been one of the options. Yes, he should have. Well, he's not in the ring of honor. Which is is ridiculous. He's the only guy with all all the Super Bowl rings, I think, who of the major guys who... He played 17 years. He played, I mean, and he was an, such an important part of the Gibbs running game. Right. I mean, he absolutely should be recognized. I think so. But uh, yeah, but Jerry Smith would be number one. Would be the choice. And then you you pick five linemen from the list of Jacoby, Grimm, Lachey, Bostic, Permuto, Brandon Sheriff, Turk Edwards, Lenhoss, Chris Samuels. I picked Bostic, Lachey, Jacoby. Grimm and uh, Samuels. That of of the, Bostic, Lachey, Jacoby, Grimm, Samuels were my picks. Again, I think if Trent Williams were on this list, I think it's debatable when it, you, you talk about Williams or Samuels. You know, this is another position. The Redskins have had some great tackles in the great linemen. You know, obviously one of the most famous offensive lines they they have on this list. They have, obviously, Russ Grimm, who's in the Hall of Fame. We all believe that Joe Jacoby should be. Lachey, you could argue, along with Trent Williams, are the two most talented offensive linemen in franchise history. And Samuels was, you know, steady great for a long period of time. But Samuels is not a Hall of Famer, Tommy. You know, No, he's not. No, he's not. But, but he was a great lineman. Again, you know, part of this era of... of of futility, it's hard to quantify greatness when the team stinks for 20 years. Yeah, This has been the struggle with putting some of these guys in, in the ring of honor. But uh, I agree with your list 100%. That would be my list as well. The defensive linemen, there were only four options. You had to pick two. 
uh, Manly Butts, Man, and Gene Brito. Now, I think there's some guys missing in terms of options. I think, you know, you could have put Talbert, who, by the way, was a very good player. You know, not just, you know, a, a figure in franchise history because of his rivalry with Roger Staubach. He was a hell of a football player, Talbert was. I think Daryl Grant could have been considered um, for this list. Um, Look at Ron, Ron McDowell. I put Ron McDowell Ron on McDowell there, too. And Dave Butts. Yeah, well, Butts is. Butts, Manly, Man, and oh. Brito are the options. Okay, okay. I you picked, can only pick two. I picked Man, well, Manly you have to pick. He's the greatest defensive pass-rushing lineman in franchise history, and I picked Butts, too, over Man. I agree. I agree 100%. Uh, the linebacker options, and you had to pick three, were Hamburger, uh, Fletcher, Harvey, Kerrigan, and Monty Coleman. Now, I think missing from that list, you know, I think, you know, I don't Olkowitz, it's not that he was a great player, but he was a really good player on winning teams. You know, Harold McClinton was a hell of a linebacker. Wilbur Marshall, LeVar Arrington were obviously super talented players. You know, Tommy, I, I, I don't know that we've ever had a conversation about Jack Pardee, the player, but he was a really good linebacker. Yeah, but he was at the end of his career. Here he was, true. When he came here, went to the Rams. He was he was a standout uh, linebacker. Uh, yeah, I mean it's got to be it's got to be Hamburger and Fletcher. I think doesn't it? I picked well. You, you picked three. I okay. picked um, Hamburger, Fletcher, and I picked Monty Coleman just because of the all around player that he was. You know, it's funny. Uh, I'm always reminded with Monty Coleman when I did my. Interviews for uh, Hail Victory, yeah. the oral history of the Redskins. Monty Coleman, I think, played for the Redskins for like 17 years. And, you know, for a lot of that time, he wasn't a starter. No, he's a special team star. Right. Uh, and came in off the bench right. in certain situations. That's true. And, and he was probably the best athlete on the team in almost every situation he played in. And he had resentment. Over the way, over the lack of recognition for a player that of his, he felt yep. for a player because he wasn't a starter. No, he felt that you know his role diminished his status, and he had a lot of resentment over that. I've heard that, and I, I guess I've heard that from you um, over over the years. Um, by the way, he played yeah sixteen years, played until he was thirty seven yeah. years old, and started very few games actually. Um, yes. Over the course of his game uh, uh, career, in fact, 1987, which ended up being, you know, the replacement year and also a Super Bowl season for the Redskins, um, in the 12 games that they had for the non-scabs, he started in all 12. That's the only season he started all, you know, all of the games that they had that year. Um, it was a it was a 15-game season, three of those games played by replacement players, right? It was three, I'm pretty sure. Um, the, uh, so, but he was such a great all-around player and a great substitute, you know, back when they were really just starting substituting, you know, based on down and distance. And Coleman could blitz. He could cover anybody on the field. He had, you know, four five forty speed, was a great closer, rangy player, a phenomenal special teams player. Think about it. He was a gunner on special teams as a linebacker. He wasn't a DB, but he played essentially at times, you know, as a hybrid safety on, on a lot of plays. He was a spectacular right. 
particular Redskin, which is why I picked him over Kerrigan and Harvey as my third guy. I, I agree with you. By the way, I just looked this up. You know, Jack Pardee, when he came here in 1971 from the Rams, he had five interceptions as a linebacker for George Allen in that first year <laughs> and was really, by the way, the coach on the field. He was the defensive yes, was. play caller, and he was an extension of George Allen uh, on the field. Um, and then lastly, the DBs, and you had to pick four of them. Uh, they were Daryl Green, Ken Houston, Sean Taylor, Pat Fisher, D'Angelo Hall, Mike Bass, Champ Bailey, and Brig Owens, and then Landon Collins. Okay, The guy that I actually think they left off, Tommy, Joe Lavender. He was a top-flight NFL corner, you know, originally in Philadelphia, but here as well. He was a very good cornerback here. You know, you could make the case that they left Sammy Ball off that list. That's a safety? Yes. Well, how about Richie Pettibone as a safety? <laughs> yeah. But uh, what did you have as your pick? Uh, I went with uh, three are easy. Okay, Green, Houston, Taylor, um, and I, it might not be easy for you. And then I picked Pat Fisher as my fourth. Okay, my I, I, the first three I agree with. Camp Bailey wow, was you, my fourth. You you agree with me on on Sean Taylor? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do. Joe Lavender was a two-time All-Pro player in Washington. He's a really good cornerback on those That's teams. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, you know they had uh, they had wow that that secondary the Redskins secondary in you know the late seventies. Um, let me let me go back and and look it up because you had Ken Houston and you had Joe Lavender on the field, right? You had Jake Scott and Ken Houston together. Two Hall of Fame players. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It, right, Jake, Jake Scott's a Hall of Famer, right? Yes. Um, so you had, you had two Hall of Fame safeties. You had one of the best cornerbacks in the game uh, in Lavender. And by the way, the other corner was also a guy that made Pro Bowls, Lamar Parrish, you know, who they traded for and came from Cincinnati. How about that as a secondary? Parrish and Lavender... Houston and Jake Scott. Houston is in the Hall of Fame, Tommy. Jake Scott's actually not in the Hall of Fame. I just looked that up. He's not. He was a Super Bowl MVP in Super Bowl Seven against the Redskins when he played for the Dolphins. Everybody from that Dolphins team made the Hall of Fame. Um, wait a minute. Maybe he is in the Hall of Fame. My fault. Five-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro, two-time Super Bowl champ. On his Pro Football Reference page, it does not say that he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he's not. He's Jake Scott's not a Hall of Famer. Um, but uh, but th- that those teams, I mean, hell, I mean, Lamar Parrish, you could put in there. He should have been uh, an option. And and you know, they had on that on those seventies mid mid to late seventies teams, McClinton, Hamburger, and Brad Dusick, who was actually a good player with Coy Bacon, who they also traded for right from Cincinnati as a pass rusher opposite Ron McDowell with Butts and Talbert. Those teams, those last few George Allen teams that were really. Older teams, especially on defense, um, were good teams, you know, that just sort of would run out of gas at the end of the year. Yeah. Yep. Sort of like me right now. Go. Feel better. I'll call you later. Okay, boss. I'll see you. Tommy sucked it up today and called us from the hospital. And he'll get his 
gallstone and gallbladder stuff taken care of tomorrow, and it'll be all fine. Um, Cooley's going to join us on tomorrow's podcast, um, so we'll finish up the week uh, with Cooley. All right, one of the things, and I think we may have skipped it the other day, Aaron, um, and that is like updating everybody on this ultimate DC sports star madness bracket, mm-hmm. which the radio station, the Team 980, um, has. And you can you can still vote. We're into the final four right now. Um, and I'm going to tell you who the final four are in a moment. But the voting is available at Team 980 on Twitter. But the Elite Eight at matchups, which we were intrigued by, and we both had Gibbs and Ovechkin advancing easily. Um, and Ovechkin did beat Sonny Jurgensen with ease, took 81% of the vote. That's why I said I, I think he's a, even against Gibbs, I think he's going to be a factor well, in the final. Well, here's why I, I think I'm going to disagree with you. Gibbs had 90% of the vote in beating Art Monk. Riggins knocked off Gary Williams in the Elite Eight. He took 72% of the vote. And Daryl Green in the other Elite Eight matchup beat Max Scherzer, taking 74% of the vote. So none of the four matchups were really close at all. That means the final four is Ovechkin matched up against Daryl Green and Gibbs matched up against Rigo. You can go vote at Team980 on Twitter. It's real easy. It's right there. It's a pinned tweet at the top. If you show the thread, you'll get both of the semifinal matchups, and you can vote on them right now, and you'll see where the voting is. I'm going to share it with you anyway. Um, Right now, Ovechkin has the lead over Daryl Green, 57.6% to 42.4%. And then in the other matchup, Gibbs against Rigo which, by the way, would have been a hell of a final, too. One-sided. Gibbs, 87.4% of the vote, and Riggins right now getting 12.6% of the vote. So go vote. There are 19 hours left in the voting, but, man, Riggins is going to have to make up a hell of a lot of ground. Daryl Green's still in it, you know, because we're, we're really only probably half of the way there, if, if not, maybe not even half of the way there on the voting. Um you know, what's interesting about this Final Four is this is a legitimate all-time Mount Rushmore D.C. sports figure Final Four if you're excluding owners and just going players, coaches, team executives. Like, who's going to argue with Ovechkin, Daryl Green, Joe Gibbs, and John Riggins? I mean, you could, if you wanted to say that, you know, there were better players than John Riggins, it's just that he's the most popular, you could certainly argue that, but no one's going to have a problem with it either. Yeah, I mean... I'm not even sure that you can really argue successfully or without any sort of question that there's a better player, you know, than Rigo. Rigo is a Hall of Famer because of his. Now, I, I understand he didn't have as many Pro Bowls or All Pros, all that. Rigo was a phenomenal back. Oh, there's no um, doubt about. And one of the great clutch performers, obviously, in in franchise history. You know, if Sonny were on that Mount Rushmore. If Daryl Green were on that Mount, well, we've already mentioned Green. If Sonny were on that Mount Rushmore, if Art Monk were on that Mount Rushmore, if Walter Johnson or Sammy Baugh, those would be really the two legitimate arguments because if you rank, you know, in that, remember when ESPN did the sports century thing at the end of the 20th century? It was a great series where they had the top 100 athletes for the 100 years. The only two D.C. area athletes on there are Walter Johnson and Sammy Baugh. So, you know, you could argue that they should be the first two on the list. 
Um, but those are players, didn't involve, you know, didn't include coaches. It's going to be a Gibbs OV final, which is what we predicted. And I think Gibbs right now, um, you know, really in a one sided beatdown of Rigo in, in a semifinal matchup sort of gives you a clue as to what the it, final it is. It will likely be. be Gibbs, but if you tell me the hockey fans come out in force and just kind of some of the more modern, younger fans, I could maybe see it. But no, most likely you're right. It's Gibbs. Yeah. Um, but a hell of a a hell of a tournament, if you will, and a and a really interesting, you know, look at what you know people think. And and you know, some of you will say, well, you know, Kevin, your radio station and even your podcast, a lot of Redskins before anything else. Well, look, everybody that talks sports in this town pretty much understands over a long period of time that the number one story, regardless of how dysfunctional the franchise has been. It's the Redskins. That's where the, the the majority of people, you know, prefer engaging in discussion about. Now, the Nats have gained significant ground. The Caps have gained significant ground. And the Redskins have lost a lot of ground. But still, you know, over the years, it's been, you know, if you, if you read, if you listen, if you watch, you know, it is pretty much Redskins first in every sort of media uh, outlet in this town for a long period of time. So it doesn't surprise me that you end up with three Redskins, and it certainly doesn't surprise me that Alex Ovechkin, arguably the greatest player, you know, on this list, if Walter Johnson and Sammy Ball weren't, um, is, you know, headed towards uh, the championship matchup uh, as well. Um, Wanted to mention real quickly that I had Wade Phillips on the radio show yesterday. It's actually really interesting because um, he's, he's, he's promoting a book. It's a book about his father and the lessons he learned from his father, Bum Phillips. You know, one of the all-time characters and really good coaches in NFL history. He coached those Houston Oilers teams of the 70s with Earl, Earl Campbell. And by the way, Wade Phillips was on that staff, you know, as a young coach. Um, but one of the things I, I pointed out um, – to uh, you know, after before and after the interview with Wade Phillips yesterday, is that <clears throat> I think most football fans, most of us, most of you listening, would you know say about Wade Phillips one hell of a defensive coordinator, right? Wouldn't you? Isn't isn't that the first thing you think of if I say Wade Phillips? Yeah, he's been a hell of a defensive coordinator over the years. You know, not much of a head coach, but a great defensive coordinator. You know, you look at his head coaching record. It is actually very impressive. Wade Phillips basically has been hired as a head coach three times. He's had several interim coaching stints with coaches that were fired midseason or late season. If you take the three jobs that he was hired for, in Denver in 1993, in Buffalo in 1998, and in Dallas, the one more recently that we were, most of us remember, in 2007, he coached a total of nine seasons, has a 79 and 57 regular season record, all right, during, as a head coach, and in nine seasons went to the playoffs five times. That's a pretty damn good coaching resume, head coaching resume. You know, a 580 win percentage, five playoff seasons in nine head coaching seasons. By the way, his worst season as a head coach before his final season in Dallas where he started 1-7 and seven and got fired, if you took the other eight that preceded it, his worst year was 7-9. and nine. 
He went nine and seven in Denver in his first year, seven and nine in his second year. The three seasons in Buffalo went ten and six, eleven and five, eight and eight. And then the seasons in Dallas went thirteen and three, nine and seven, eleven and five. And then two thousand ten became a disaster. Um, went one and seven, injuries all over the place, and he got fired that particular year. I mean, just saying, as OJ would say on his Twitter account, I'm just saying um, that Wade Phillips, as a head coach, has a hell of a resume as a head coach. I didn't realize that until he was scheduled to be on the show, and I sort of looked it up because I was sitting there ready to talk to him about all the defensive coordinator jobs he did. He was the defensive coordinator for the Broncos recently, coaching Von Miller in the Super Bowl. You know, he was the defensive coordinator um, in Los Angeles the last couple of years, the defensive coordinator for the Rams team that lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. We know the story of of Wade Phillips being interviewed for the job in Washington by Jay Gruden and company before Jay and company decided on Joe Barry. You know, and I asked him about that and he said, yeah, I don't really want to go back to that, but I guess I didn't interview very well. And I said, well, come on. Of course you interviewed well. And he said, well, they just, you know, Jay decided to go in a different direction. He was looking for something else. And he did say, you know, maybe he didn't, re- he said, maybe I didn't do a good job interviewing because I sort of assumed that he knew about my career as a defensive coordinator. And it, it, he didn't seem to know much about me. And I should have done a better job selling myself. I'm paraphrasing. Um, and he said, you know, Jay went through a bunch of the games where he matched up against me as a defensive coordinator when he was in Houston in a couple of play in a couple of games where his offense did well against Houston, but he left out the playoff games in which he uh, he Wade Phillips totally you know shut down Cincinnati offensively, and he found that to be curious. Anyway, let me get to why I brought Wade Phillips up. I asked him about the defensive players in the upcoming draft. By the way, he was fired um, in Los Angeles. He's not currently employed by anybody. Um, he worked for Sean McVay for the three seasons as the defensive coordinator. His son, Wes, is, uh, is an assistant defensive coach there as well. He wants to coach again as a defensive coordinator. But anyway, I asked him about, you know, are you keeping an eye on the draft and the players at the top of the draft the Redskins may be considering Chase Young, you know, Isaiah Simmons. And he said, I, you know, I love them both. And he said, but you take the pass rusher. He said, I had Von Miller. He said, J, he goes, I, have, I had J.J. Watt. He said, when you have that kind of pass rusher, that's the player that impacts the game the most. I'd take the pass rusher. And I said, and do you think Chase Young's that kind of guy? And he said, oh, I do. He said, I do. Chase Young was the way in the direction he would go um, there at the top um, of the draft. Um, it was just an interesting conversation with Wade Phillips, which I actually um, really uh, enjoyed. Um, I didn't, to be honest with you, it was one of those things where I wasn't sure whether, and he, by the way, he's very soft-spoken and not very talkative, but, you know, we ended up spending 15 minutes and and uh, I think some of the stuff about, you know, his father and some of those teams um, loosened him up uh, a little bit. Um, three things uh, to touch on real quickly before we um, leave you for the day. Um, Darius Geis is getting sued for $500,000, according to Michael Phillips. I think he was the first to break this Richmond Times-Dispatch. Geis signed uh, originally um, with the agency Top Dog Entertainment. 
Um, they represent a bunch of music acts, including Kendrick Lamar. This is who he employed initially to be his agent. The actual agent's name is Fod McKyle, who I think, I could be wrong about this, is, was Sua Cravens' agent, um, just as an aside. Um, he uh, is being sued by Top Dog Entertainment uh, for $500,000. By the way, right before the draft, um, before he was drafted in 20. Uh, 19 um, or 20, the 2018 draft, it would have been, right? It would have been the 2018 draft. Geis left that agency and signed with Young Money, which is the agency uh, founded by uh, Lil Wayne. Uh, here's essentially what he was he's getting sued over. The lawsuit alleges that Geis took out a $191,000 loan during the pre-draft process and didn't pay it back. By the way, and I know this to be true, um, Players that have finished their college eligibility sign with agents very often take out loans that the agents are able to secure um, and facilitate so that they have cash between the moment their eligibility is up in college and the NFL draft. Now, some of these agents aren't going to loan players too much. It's going to be based on what they project the earnings to be, based on where they're going to be drafted uh, in, in particular. But Geis took out a loan for $191,000 during the, the pre-draft process, according to this lawsuit. Uh, and has not paid uh, any of it back. The rest of the money that he's being sued for is from endorsement deals that Guy centered into. The agency, his original agency, is claiming that he owes them 15% on some of those deals. And Michael Phillips writes in his story about this that the lawsuit provides a fascinating window into the alternative revenue streams of a professional athlete. Geis's deal with Nike was for four years, a deal he signed with Nike before he ever took one NFL snap, prior to him even being drafted, with a $100,000 signing bonus and base payments annually of $40,000 a year. So it was basically a $260,000 deal with Nike, $100,000 up front, and then another $40,000 a year for four years. According to the lawsuit also, Geis was paid... $35,000 from Hyundai for endorsements and had a deal with Panini trading cards for a minimum of 17,000 autographs at $12.50 per autograph. That's pretty good money. That's not a bad gig. You know, when you're talking about somewhere in the neighborhood of about $200,000 for autographs. Geis also had a deal that could have paid him as much as $600,000 for him to appear at various autograph signings, um, and he was offered $1,000 per game-used jersey that he sold. So basically, it all adds up to about $500,000, and they want the $191,000 in loans back and 15% of the rest of it, which I guess, you know, do the math, adds up to five hundred grand. Um, I had John Keim on the show this morning. And I asked John Keim a simple question. And I said, why have the Redskins signed two running backs? And Keim's answer was, well, you know, they've got a 35-year-old Nadrian Peterson on the roster, and they've got two guys that haven't been healthy, which is, you know, the right answer. It's the first part of the answer. You know, Darius Geis has missed many more games than he's been available for, and Bryce Love hasn't played one NFL snap yet. 
You know, he had that ACL tear in college, and then he had a, a fix, a, a apparently a very easy fix last fall. But the Redskins have added two running backs, J.D. McKissick and, and Peyton Barber. Now, McKissick's much more of a third down back, pass catching back. But, you know, obviously, you know, Peterson, Geis, Love, Barber, McKissick, probably not going to keep five backs. They might. They could. Um, but there's another part to this answer that I believe that John Kime agreed with me on. And I think what we've seen with Ron Rivera is a focus on the culture and a focus on bringing in or keeping mature players, grown-ups. And I don't know about Bryce Love, but I think there are some questions about Darius Geis's maturity. I think that's one of those things that perhaps was a reason why he dropped to late second round. Remember, some people had him going in the first round of that draft. The Redskins' first choice in terms of running backs in the 2018 NFL draft was Carryon Johnson. The Redskins wanted to take Carryon Johnson in the second round of that draft, early in the second round. Um, the, and Carryon Johnson went to Detroit at 43 overall. And the Redskins were supposed to have the next pick, which they ultimately traded out of, and they ended up ter- taking Darius Geis at 59. But Adam Schefter reported at the time that Carryon, that Detroit traded in front of the Redskins to get Carryon Johnson because the Redskins were going to take Carryon Johnson. And he was my favorite back, one of my favorite backs in that draft after the obvious guy, Saquon Barkley, you know, in that draft went number two overall. I liked Carryon Johnson more than almost anybody but Barkley, and I think I really like Sony Michelle a lot. And I, I like Chubb a lot too in that draft. But I liked him more than Penny. I liked him more than Ronald Jones. Um, I liked him more than Geis. Um, I liked him more than um, who were some of the other backs in that draft? Uh, was Royce Freeman in that draft? The guy from NC State was in that draft. The guy uh, uh, Hines that plays for the Colts. I, I, I loved I loved Carryon Johnson. Now he's been hurt. You know he he's been another guy that hasn't been able to remain healthy, and because of it, he hasn't played nearly enough games. He played seven games last year. Seven, I think you know ten in his rookie year. Um, he's all, also when he has played, averaged you know four and a half yards per carry, and he's been a legit receiving threat as well. He can play, but he's got to stay on the field. Uh, we know that. Um, but I think that's another reason on this Geist thing. I think it's one of the other reasons you have to be. Um, you, it's one of the other reasons that they 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 picked up the option on on Peterson, and they've signed Barber and McKissick. You know, it's not completely out of the realm that the Redskins could look potentially to move on from either Geis or Love. And by the way, I don't know if maturity is the concern with Love at all. In fact, I would guess that it's not. Um, Two other things real quickly before we run for the day. So I was talking to you guys the other day and Aaron about just how we are always off on trade value. You know, it's one of the things we get wrong consistently um, from as sports fans, where we try to project trade value, you know, we're, we're usually saying, "Oh my God, that's all that guy went for," or "Oh my God, they got way too much." Um, and CBSSports.com uh, put out yesterday a list of the seven trades that they think need to happen between now and you know the end of the draft. And one of those trades was Trent Williams to Tampa Bay 
for Donovan Smith, their starting left tackle that they signed an extension to, and a second-round pick. And I read this, and I'm like, wait a minute. If Tampa traded or offered Donovan Smith in a second-round pick, the Redskins would take that deal, unless they were concerned about the Smith contract extension, which was like a three-year, $40 million extension. For a mediocre starting left So tackle. that might, maybe they'd say, no, we don't want Donovan Smith, we'll take right. the second-round so, pick. So it might be, yeah, it might be that Donovan Smith is, is, you know, it makes A it, negative in the trade. Exactly. Um, I guess it could be, although Donovan Smith started a lot of games for them. Oh, he started, but it's because they don't have much depth. Donovan Smith is probably, as far as left tackles go, the 30th best left tackle in the league, somewhere around there. So the other trade that was there, that was on the list of the seven trades that need to happen, this was a CBSSports.com thing that I thought was interesting, was did not involve the Redskins. And the trade goes like this. Uh, the Jags trade Ngakwe, their pass rusher supreme, to the Giants. And I'll give you the trade particulars in a moment, but I, I'm going to mention one thing real quickly. It's a, a bit self-serving. I will concede that point. Um, not as self-serving as saying that you know that I'm number one on Facebook in the midst of a crisis. But um, I told Cooley um, when Ngakwe was playing for Maryland, and it was probably his sophomore year, um, I, I said, you got to watch number seven for Maryland as a defensive player. He's going to be a really good uh, NFL pass rusher. Cooley went back, Aaron, swear to God, and Cooley will, will back this story up. Uh, he went back and watched you know, the tape, and he said he literally walked out of watching the tape and walked right into you know, the, 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 uh, the office of Bruce Allen and whomever else was involved in the draft at the time and said, you guys have to take this guy from Maryland. He's going to be a really big-time pass rusher. And where was he taken? He was taken in the second, second round. round. Yeah, um, second round. Uh, no, third round. I think he was the third-round pick. I think he was the third-round pick in that 2016 draft. Would have been the 2016 draft. Was he third-round or second-round? You might be right. He may have been second-round pick. No, you're right. It was the very beginning of the third round. Beginning of the third round? Okay, yeah. so Ngakwe was picked in the beginning of the third round. Who did the Redskins take in that draft prior to him? Like, who was their late second-round pick or mid-second-round pick? If, if that was the 2016... Uh, that's Cravens. The, yeah, so that's the Doxon-Cravens draft before. Yeah, you think they could have done better? Um so Cooley must have told Scott McLuhan, too, who was involved in that draft. Anyway, um, let me get back to what this trade was um, proposed. The trade basically was Jacksonville trades in Gawkway to the Giants for the Giants' number – The ja- Jacksonville trades in Gawkway and number nine overall, their first-round pick, which is ninth overall, to the Giants for a 2020 2020- First round pick, which is which is the fourth overall for the Giants, and two second round picks. This year's thirty six overall, and next year's twenty twenty one Giant second round pick. And I'm like, you know what? I mean, that seems like a deal that for the Giants, I don't know, might make sense if they're looking for a legit edge pass rusher. Okay, and Gakway's one of the best. He is one of the best pass rushers out there. You know, and he's young too. How old's Ngakwe now? He can't be older than 26, 27. He's probably younger than that. Because didn't he come out a year early after his junior year? He just turned 25. So even better. 
You know, and he's had in his four seasons, I'm going to guess he's had 40 plus sacks. You know, he's probably averaged close to 10 sacks a year. I should pull that number up here. Uh, he has, this is his fourth season. So, yeah, he's, it's 37 and a half sacks in four seasons. Okay. So, 37 and a half. Here it is. You're right. So, just over nine, you know, over nine sacks per season. Pretty damn good. On a very good defense, too, with other really good players. Um, but I was thinking, you know, that that's a trade that, you know, let's put the Redskins into that conversation. You know, if, if a trade like this made sense, Ngakwe and number nine overall for number four overall in two second rounders, what about Ngakwe? Um, f- what would the Redskins get for Ngakwe? Um, first of all, Ngakwe for Trent Williams straight up, I make that deal. Okay. That, that, that's for the starters. Jaguars but the Jags, Jags would not. Um, to give away number two to get the pass rusher. And then number nine overall, how much more to move up two additional spots would you need to get? Well, you'd need to get probably a future, you have to get this year's number two and a future number one, right? Because it's seven spots, not five spots. You're getting your pass rusher, you're getting a top 10 pick, but you got to get next year's number one and this year's number two minimum. And would you consider it then? You know, maybe you get this year's number three, too. You know, maybe the Redskins get number nine overall. They get Ngakwe. They get number nine overall. They get the Jacksonville second-round pick, which is 36th overall. And they get Jacksonville's third-round pick, which I haven't looked up when that is. Um, But I'm going to do that right now. And a future number one, would you make that deal? Those are the kind of deals where you start to get me to think about it in terms of passing on Chase Young, I don't know that I would, but Ngakwe's proven right now. He's ready to go as an outside linebacker in a 4-3. Um, where is Jacksonville's third? They've got number 73 overall. So they got a relatively early third-round pick. I think Ngakwe, number 9 overall, second-round pick 36 overall, third-round pick 73 overall, and next year's number 1 for number 2 overall would be a haul because you're getting a proven player. You're going to be able to get at number nine, you know, a really good player. You get your second round pick. Probably you're able to fill, by the way, a corner need, uh, a tight end and or wide receiver need. Um, and you end up being, being able to, you know, fill a bunch of needs in the first, second, and third rounds. And you got a pass rusher in Ngakwe. Now, I'm not putting Ngakwe into the Chase Young potential category. But what you're looking at it like it's too much. I, I think that might be too much. I, I feel like Ngakwe nine in a second. I, I don't know if uh, the Jaguars make that offer. Well, you got to get more than what they're giving to go up to get the Giants number four overall. Well, sure. Yeah. Sure. So yeah. number nine in one second rounder wouldn't be. Yeah, I, I good just I, I feel like they might have. No, I don't. I don't just mean. I just mean. Um, it might be nine and Ngakwe. That would be I, – I don't know if that would be quite right, but I feel like you start piling this up. And I, 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 basically what I'm saying, I think ESPN or whoever had that initial list might have that wrong. Like that would not be the trade. Or CBS Sports. Or CBS Sports. I, I bet you Ngakwe gets traded. <clears throat> oh, I do too. I yeah. do too. 
All right, last thing I wanted to get to is Maryland basketball real quickly because they added a transfer yesterday, this guy Jarius Hamilton. He's a 6'8", 230-pound power forward um, who, who apparently is a really good defender out of BC. Now, he is not one of those grad transfers that's eligible immediately unless the NCAA rule on transfers changes, which a lot of people are expecting it to uh, change where they they'll allowed they'll be allowed to transfer once and not sit out a year. Obviously, if they get him and he's eligible next year, that is more than a comparable uh, replacement for losing Ricky Lindo. It's not the replacement for losing Jalen Smith. Just so everybody understands, um, they're also in the running for many transfers, and this is going to be one of those years where. Turgeon's going to have to really be active in the transfer market, in the grad transfer market in particular, where you don't have to sit out, you know, they don't even have to wait for the rule change. Um, but uh, but you're, you're going to have to get, you know, this guy Bryce Aiken from, from Harvard. Um, you know, there are a bunch of guys that they are in the running for. He's going to have to land a couple of these guys, and if he does, all of a sudden Maryland might go from sort of a borderline tournament projected team next year back into like the top 20 that could happen pretty quickly if he gets some of these guys to commit as much as uh, I mean Bryce Aiken would be great he's certainly the top uh, transfer right now I think Seton Hall is a slight favorite there over Maryland but tell me I, give me give me the, the uh, you follow this stuff much more than I do yeah in terms of where these guys rank Maryland's on the final three four. final four final list four. for a lot it, it, for several guys yeah Bry- Bryce Aiken they're on the final four with Seton Hall who's considered the favorite right now and Michigan and Iowa State Aiken would come in right away and basically be Anthony Cowan yeah, scoring yeah. point guard. Yeah. Uh, I think the big one is uh, Jordan Bruner from Yale. He's, right. uh, he's a big man, and he's down to Baylor, Maryland, Alabama. Apparently Alabama's the leader right now. Well, that's ridiculous. Okay? Let me just say this. Mark, my friend, Turgeon, you can't let Alabama, a football school, beat you out for a guy like this. you got to go get this guy. Okay, this is, you know, if this guy is a a difference maker next year as a grad transfer from Yale, right? This is the kid from Yale? Yeah, this is the Yale uh, 6'8", big man. You you cannot let Alabama beat you out for that. You're Maryland. Alabama is a football school. They are third tier, fourth tier basketball. All right, Baylor obviously has some basketball tradition here, and they've been very good at times, including this past year, where they may have made a run to the Final Four. If you, where's this kid from? It's uh, a good question. I'm not sure exactly where he's from. I know he he has a relationship with Nate Oates, which is why Alabama is in the mm-hmm. picture. He's from South Carolina. Uh, you can't lose this kid to Alabama. You're Maryland. You know, you it's not Duke or Carolina or Kentucky or Kansas walking into his door, but it's the next level down. All right. Uh, I'll text him and tell him he's got to get this done. All right. Just, just <clears throat> make, make sure that this gets done. And then there's uh, Alex O'Connell from Duke. Yeah, I, I did read that. You know, in O'Connell's that left-handed shooter, right? Yes. He can he can really shoot it. Did he not get have a big year this year, or is it just too crowded? I think it's combination of both. Yeah, because that, that guy can play a little bit. I, I wouldn't mind getting him um, at all. 
Um, big, you know, right now with everything that's going on, and you gotta, you know, you gotta get commitments from these guys without being able to meet these guys face to face. Tough time, you know, in recruiting. Um, but it's a big off season. By the way, you know what Naki told me on the radio show yesterday? He just said, you know, with all that's going on, and Jalen Smith not having a chance to participate in these NBA drafts, draft camps. That maybe, just maybe, because I was looking at some of the mocks. I've seen him as high as 17th. I've also seen him in the second round still in some of these mock drafts. I I think that, yeah, it's slightly more likely now, but it goes from a 2% chance of him coming back to a 4% chance of his coming back. I don't see Well, that you happening. just doubled the chances. <laughs> there you go. You're <laughs> telling I, me there's a chance. I mean, NBA Draft Net, this was the one I looked at yesterday, had him as the 40th pick. Like, he's mid-second round. I think not having a tournament, the tournament, you know, it hurts him a little bit. Um, I don't know. If you watched Jalen Smith this year and you watched how much he improved, if he's not a top 20 pick, if he's not a first rounder, I'd be shocked. First rounder is guaranteed money, second rounder is not. You know, it's going to, he hasn't committed yet. You know, a lot of guys are starting to commit. We've not heard Jalen Smith commit yet. All right, that's it for the day. Uh, Back tomorrow with Cooley.